From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. As Washington's war on dissenting voices continues, I speak to journalist and filmmaker Dan Cohen. All of us are facing an enormous wave of censorship, and I think it's because the permanent war state has lost control of the narrative. Nobody believes that it's Putin's fault that, you know, we're paying five, six, seven dollars for gas at the pump or, you know, that bread is so much more expensive now or milk. And as the United States attempts to bar Cuba, Venezuela and Nicaragua from the upcoming Summit of the Americas, we hear from Cuba's foreign minister, Bruno Rodriguez Parilla. The government of the United States is not a role model for human rights. Systematic violation of health rights, the rights of uh, people below the poverty line, the right to education, to food of U.S. citizens. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, three days after an 18-year-old gunman killed at least 19 children and two teachers at a Texas school, questions continue to be raised about the timeline and actions taken by the police. News reports confirm that the shooter was inside Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, from 40 to 90 minutes before he was confronted and killed by a border agent. In the meantime, anxious parents gathered outside and were pushed back by police, which are seen on video tackling one parent and threatening to tase others, as parents offered to go into the school themselves to confront the gunman. On Thursday, police confirmed that there were 80 cops outside the school for at least 43 minutes before they actually entered the school, where gunshots and the screams of children could be heard. In an email message sent Thursday, Black Lives Matter activist Sean King said, quote, when police finally entered, they took another 48 minutes to take out the shooter and complained that they needed keys to get in certain doors. And the shooter killed more kids even after they got in there because they refused to confront him. They told kids to yell for help if they needed it. A kid yelled and the shooter came and shot and killed her. But it just gets worse and worse. Parents of kids who were murdered at Robb Elementary have been saying that police officers literally went into the school to get their own kids while they left other kids behind. Police don't keep us safe, end quote, he said. Here in D.C., Congress was scheduled to go on recess without taking action to address this nation's gun laws. Just this year, there have been 27 school shootings in the United States. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont wrote on Twitter Wednesday, quote, enough is enough. We must abolish the filibuster and pass gun safety legislation now. No one in America needs an AR-15. How many more children, mothers and fathers need to be murdered in cold blood before the Senate has the guts to ban assault weapons and take on the NRA, end quote. In a pregame press conference just hours after the shooting, Steve Kerr, coach of the Golden State Warriors basketball team, expressed the exasperation and frustration felt by Americans, still in shock over 10 mostly elderly African-Americans killed by white supremacists in Buffalo on May 14th. I'm not going to talk about basketball. Nothing's happened with our team in the last six hours. We're going to start the same way tonight. Any basketball questions uh, don't matter. Since we left shoot-around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here. 
and a, and a teacher. And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California. And now we have children murdered at school. When are we gonna do something? I'm tired, I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on H.R. 8, which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple of years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. And there's a reason they won't vote on it, to hold on to power. So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So I'm fed up, I've had enough. We're gonna play the game tonight, but I want every person here, every person listening to this to think about your own child or grandchild or mother or father or sister, brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go Dubs, you know? Come on Mavs, let's go. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go play a basketball game. And, and 50 senators in Washington are gonna hold us hostage. Do you realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough. With rising prices for food, fuel, and housing in the United States, there's continued fallout over the $40 billion approved for aid to Ukraine. As one example of human needs being neglected at home, Eugene Perrier reported on his podcast, The Punch-Out!, that much of the crisis in affordable housing and homelessness could be solved for far less than the now total $54 billion already sent to Ukraine in recent months. Just about everyone living in a city these days knows this country is struggling with homelessness. In the fiscal year 2023 budget, the Biden administration is proposing $3.6 billion for homeless assistance grants, $54 billion for Ukraine, $3.6 billion for the homeless. You heard that right. According to the administration, that $3.6 billion will help 25,000 people, which means that had they spent the $54 billion on homeless assistance grants, they could have helped 375,000 people. Part of the reason we have a homelessness crisis is the fact that we also have an affordable housing crisis. Well, the main way the government promotes affordable housing, housing choice vouchers, are slated in Biden's budget to get $32.1 billion. Now, again, that's less than had been sent to Ukraine in just a few months. Now, in all fairness, Biden is also offering $35 billion in a separate program and grants to state and local housing agencies to try to develop low-income housing. But just think about that. In just a few months, the Biden administration has committed 80% of what it proposes to spend on affordable housing in one year. 
And on top of that, Biden has totally dropped his proposal from last year to clear the $70 billion backlog in public housing repairs that has turned quite a bit of the nation's public housing stock into slums. But again, in just a few months, Congress easily passed 77% of that amount and sent it to Ukraine. Other examples from Biden's budget given by per year include the hospital preparedness budget, clean energy investments, and funding for high-poverty schools, all significantly less than what has been sent to Ukraine in just a few months. One bombshell story getting little coverage in corporate media is that former Hillary Clinton campaign manager Robbie Mook testified in court this month that the then Democratic presidential nominee gave the green light for her staff to distribute materials alleging a communications channel between the Trump Organization and Russia's Alpha Bank, despite campaign officials not being confident in the truthfulness of the information. Mook testified in the ongoing trial of Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman, who is charged with lying to the FBI when he told FBI counsel less than two months before the 2016 presidential election that he was not doing work, quote unquote, for any client when he presented to the FBI information, which turned out to be false about a supposed link between Trump and Russia's Alpha Bank. Former FBI general counsel James Baker also testified in the trial that the Bureau did investigate Sussman's information and found that, quote, there was nothing there, end quote. Mook's testimony is the most damning evidence linking Clinton and her campaign to the five-year-long hoax called Russiagate, which saturated corporate media coverage and tried to make a link between former President Donald Trump and Russian influence. Many of the same Clinton staffers, including Ned Price and Victoria Nuland, are now in the Biden administration, spearheading the proxy war against Russia in Ukraine. With the Supreme Court set to rule on Roe v. Wade and abortion rights any day now, legal experts are also sounding the alarm about a recent high court ruling that could lead to the prolonged imprisonment and even execution of people who did not receive adequate representation after convictions in state court. The case Shin versus Martinez Ramirez involved two men, David Martinez Ramirez and Barry Lee Jones, who are on death row in Arizona. The majority determined that inmates can't present new evidence in federal court to support a claim that their post-conviction attorney in state court was ineffective. In violation of the Sixth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which affirms the right to the assistance of counsel in all criminal prosecutions. Writing the dissent, Justice Sotomayor wrote, quote, The Sixth Amendment guarantees criminal defendants the right to the effective assistance of counsel at trial. This court has recognized that right as a bedrock principle that constitutes the very foundation for our adversary system of criminal justice. Today, however, the court hamstrings the federal court's authority to safeguard that right. The court's decision will leave many people who were convicted in violation of the Sixth Amendment to face incarceration or even execution without any meaningful chance to vindicate their right to counsel, end quote. 
In climate news, a lawsuit against ExxonMobil will be allowed to proceed in Massachusetts after that state's high court refused to dismiss the case this week. Massachusetts is suing Exxon over allegations that it lied to the public about the climate emergency for decades and over the fossil fuel industry's role in driving the current climate crisis. And finally, in culture and media, Joe Loria, editor of Consortium News, is reporting that the most viewed video and audio tape on YouTube that proves the U.S. role in the 2014 coup in Ukraine has been removed by the platform. He writes, quote, it was one of the most watched versions of the intercepted and leaked conversation between then Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Nuland and Jeffrey Pyatt, the then U.S. ambassador to Ukraine in which the two discuss who will make up the new government weeks before a democratically elected Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych was overthrown in a violent coup on February 21st, 2014. The two talk about, quote-unquote, midwifing the unconstitutional change of government and gluing it together, and of the role then-Vice President Joe Biden should play and what meetings to set up with Ukrainian politicians. Laura continues, quote, the U.S. State Department never denied the authenticity of the video and even issued an apology to the European Union after Newland is heard on the tape saying F the EU. Mainstream media at the time focused almost exclusively on that off-color remark, ignoring the greater significance of the U.S. interference in Ukraine's internal affairs. And Consortium News is in London, waiting the decision of UK Home Secretary Priti Patel on whether WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange will be extradited to the United States. Assange, who is not a U.S. citizen, would be extradited to face charges that he violated the U.S. Espionage Act when he revealed U.S. war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan. For this act of journalism, Assange would be sentenced to 170 years in prison. More on culture and media for May after headlines with journalist and filmmaker Dan Cohen. And those are our headlines and happenings. Stay with us. Tragic position of trading and passion for wages and cash to they shackled by capitalism. Imagine a minute, millions of average citizens planning the spinach and waxing the kitchens and stacking the linens, contractors and renters and tenants, the labor extracted for pittance. What if they coordinated to address the sort of state of it in organization? Cause it only that's what organized labor does, and not even sort of its war of the crux. Taking the power from hoarders of bucks, big bankers offshore and they cut, returning the value of labor to those who created the billionaires. Oh, it's us. If you dated and totally about waking up early to earn a bag If you sad about burning, if you got a curious turning and had it with passively lurking We got your back and we happy to have you Out on the picket line, actively working, going Which side are you on?
This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And for this month's extended coverage of culture and media, we are continuing to discuss coverage of the war in Ukraine and more. Joining me this month is journalist and filmmaker Dan Cohen. He's a writer for Mint Press News, and his new movie is Gaza Fights Back. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Hey, good to be with you. Well, before uh, the show, Dan, I mentioned that we covered your article about Ukraine's vast PR machine. Uh, the, the article was back in March. And recently read your tweet about the NED-funded Kiev Independent posting and then deleting a story about an Azov Nazi who waxed poetic about gang raping a Jewish woman. And these are both shocking stories. And it really occurred to me that we need to know more about what the NED is funding in Ukraine, especially in regards to media. And that probably links back to your earlier piece about this PR machine. Right. Well, that article that the Kiev Post published was basically praising, effusively praising a a member of the Azov Battalion, which is a Nazi battalion that was formerly incorporated into the Ukrainian military after the 2014 coup d'etat, which the U.S. orchestrated, in, in, in particular Joe Biden and Victoria Nuland orchestrated. And the Azov Battalion is, you know, kind of considered the elite of the Ukrainian military. And until recently, they were holed up in the Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol. And now they've finally surrendered. So we're going to, they've surrendered to Russian forces, forces, and we're going to see them put on trial for crimes they've committed. And one of the Nazis that was a member of this Azov battalion is was commemorated in that article, and you know his poetry. They call him a poet, and it is very explicit about um, lynching um, a Jewish woman, and as she's asphyxiating on with a noose around her neck, many many men raping her. That's what these U.S. allies consider poetry, and so. When this was published, uh, shortly after it was published, the Kiev Post deleted the article, but not before it could be archived in uh, the Wayback Machine. And so we're talking about the Kiev Post, which I believe is actually an offshoot of the Kiev Independent. Both of these are funded by the, the National Endowment for Democracy. But yeah, that, so, so they are slightly different, but essentially, you know, cutouts of the same thing. And its tweet is still up, actually, is the last I checked a couple of days ago. But it, you know, it's a really revealing moment, I think, um, for the the hardcore Nazi ideology that the U.S. is supporting, arming, funding, and nourishing, and has nourished actually for decades and decades, um, in order to weaken Russia. And the, the Kiev Independent is one arm of this enormous propaganda machine that the U.S. has created through CIA cutouts like the National Endowment for Democracy, which, you know, a very ironically named organization. And there has been an enormous propaganda effort coming out of that I discovered, you know, you can see in an investigation that I wrote on in Mint Press News about this 
propaganda campaign, and it originates from the Ukrainian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and it promotes a series of outright lies and deceptions that we see all over mainstream media, such as the ghost of Kiev, this supposed fighter pilot who took down dozens and dozens of, of Russian warplanes, and it turned out that it doesn't exist. That was a total lie. They also promote the the incident on Snake Island where they said that a bunch of brave Ukrainian sailors, naval naval sailors, uh, told a Russian warship that had ordered them to surrender to go F itself. And it turned out that was... A to- and, and actually, the uh, president, Volodymyr Zelensky, did a big press conference honoring these these sailors and saying that they had been killed um, and gave them the Hero of Ukraine Award. And then the sailors turned up and it, and they were in captivity of the Russians and they had just completely surrendered. So all of these lies, they all have the goal of portraying Ukraine as capable of taking on Russia in order to extend the war. Because for the U.S., seeing kind of permanent, you know, Ukraine as a, as a sort of Afghanistan, just bleeding Russia as long as possible to weaken it is the goal here to extend war. And so that's the goal of the U.S. and why it's funding this enormous propaganda campaign. And not only of the U.S., but also of, you know, the Ukrainian kind of EU pro-NATO oriented regime that was installed after the Maidan coup. Well, aside from Kiev Independent and the Kiev Post, what other information can you tell us about kind of how the maybe any defunded media operation there? Well, I mean, the NED has been involved in funding a an entire network of anti-Russia, hardcore Ukrainian nationalist, which is essentially a euphemism for neo-Nazi organizations. And this is all under the cover of democracy promotion. And it's not only the NED who's involved, you also have the Open Society Foundation, which is run by the billionaire George Soros, who operates in tandem with the United States government um, and has been heavily involved in overthrowing post-Soviet countries in Eastern Europe, and not only in Eastern Europe, around the world, in order to install regimes that are pro-US, pro-EU, to kind of bring them into the, the global, you know, neoliberal capitalist system. And so you have this enormous network all over Eastern Europe in particular, that is pumping out propaganda to their local population in order to orient them towards the West and drive public opinion against Russia and in basically in favor of permanent war, but also to try to blast propaganda inside Russia. So you have a number of outlets, like um, one of them is Rain TV, that's well known inside Russia as a US-funded outlet. And they've had calls for genocide from commentators against the people of Donbass, which is a region in what was basically Eastern Ukraine that declared independence in 2014 after this Nazi infested coup because they didn't want to live under a regime that was basically dedicated to exterminating them. And so 
you know, you have calls like that for outright genocide on these NED and Soros and just US funded outlets. So, you know, all of this is just kind of a, it's all part of a larger network of media operations that ultimately come back to Washington that are very closely tied with US embassies and the NED. And you know, pumping out this hardcore ultra-rightist narrative. And as I said before, the Ukrainian Ministry of Foreign Affairs is heavily involved. And one of the ways they've been pretty successful in promoting this narrative in the West, as I, you know, show in this in my Mint Press um, investigation, which you can see on mintpressnews.com. It's called Ukraine's Propaganda War, International PR Firms, DC Lobbyists, and CIA Cutouts. PR firms are really have played a major role. So you have basically as soon as you know Russia's operation, you know, call it what you will, into Ukraine started, the about 150 PR firms in the West, in the UK and the US in particular, but all over Western Europe began to operate on behalf and directly with the Ukrainian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, pumping out those these propaganda narratives like the, the ghost of Kiev and the Snake Island incident and all these things that I mentioned before. And so what I found actually in, the, in a poorly hidden link in one of these PR websites is that the Ukrainian Ministry of Foreign Affairs had actually created a propaganda dossier to distribute these tropes to media outlets, to PR firms, and it instructed the exact language that the Ukrainian Ministry of Foreign Affairs wants, you know, media outlets and, and PR firms to use. So, you know, what is what is allowed to be said, what is not? And so we see that this has been used, these exact tropes, these exact propaganda constructs have been used on a daily basis by all of our mainstream media outlets, by, you know, the New York Times, by CNN, by the Washington Post, in order to prolong this war and shape Western public opinion. And so when I published my investigation, they ended up closing, you know, closing the link down and hiding it, but I, I downloaded it, you know, so if you go to the article, you can, you can browse this propaganda dossier, but it also includes a number of images that promote neo-Nazism, one of which, for example, praises Yevon Karas, who is the leader of a Ukrainian neo-Nazi group called C-14, the 14 referring to the 14 words that neo-Nazi groups, if, you know, if, if anyone pays attention to neo-Nazi groups in the U.S., they use to say, you know, we have to secure the future of white children. So, Figures like this, like this C-14 group, um, are promoted in this propaganda dossier. We also have Right Sector, which is a hardcore neo-Nazi group that has been kind of the muscle on the ground in Ukraine since the 2014 coup. You have images praising Stepan Bandera, who was the leading Nazi collaborator in Ukraine, and his group, the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, committed mass murder against Jews and ethnic Poles during World War II in Ukraine. So that is who the Ukrainian Ministry of Foreign Affairs is praising. And, you know, this is the culture that the West has essentially nurtured in Ukraine. Now, there's really been an impact here in the United States on news outlets 
who have not reported on Ukraine, I suppose, as the Biden administration or the State Department wants them to. And some of those outlets have been uh, featured on our show. We interviewed Joe Loria of Consortium News about Bucha and the, the claims made about a massacre there. And a few weeks later, they had their PayPal seize their account, tried to steal their money, but then they had to uh, give it back uh, because of you know public outcry, but still has frozen their account in some kind of way. I know that Mint Press News was also attacked in a similar way. Is that because of your, the coverage of Ukraine has not met up with what Anthony Blinken or the State Department wants? Or can you talk about that? Or Sure. No, no, I'm happy to talk about it. All of us are facing an enormous wave of censorship. And I think it's because the permanent war state has lost control of the narrative. Nobody believes that it's Putin's fault that you know we're paying uh, five, six, seven dollars for gas at the pump, or you know that bread is so much more expensive now, or milk. Um, so what they do when they become desperate is they censor. They you know they think that if they just cover your eyes, then you'll forget that your stomach is is hungry. So we at Mint Press News had our PayPal account suspended. Basically, we're no longer allowed to use. PayPal, not only our official account, but um, some of our journalists, Alan McLeod had his personal account frozen. He's no no longer allowed to use it. And there was no real reason given. They said there's potential risk with your account, which, you know, no one knows exactly what that means. They didn't clarify. There's no recourse. And we saw the same thing, as you said, with Consortium News. And this is part of just this broader censorship campaign, you know. So tell me this, is it true that funds were actually seized from the organization? What happened with Mint Press is they said, we're going to hold the money in your account for 180 days and then we'll do a review. So I don't know exactly how much money was in there, but just the fact that, you know, they've basically taken our money is pretty, you know, and said, we're just going to sit on it and not let you you have it is pretty, pretty remarkable. And then, you know, we also had a, our GoFundMe campaign was suspended, you know, arbitrarily. So, you know, we use that, we, we really rely on our, our readers to support us. And we had our, our crowdfunding campaign suspended, again, with no real clear reason. They don't really tell you why it's, it's, you know, but it's very obvious that it's all part of this broader censorship campaign. I mean, we, we can't really separate it from, for example, the establishment of the Disinformation Governance Board at Department of Homeland Security. And even though Nina Yankovic has now been, with her numerous kind of embarrassing moments surfacing and her getting pilloried online, she's been replaced by, by Michael Chertoff, uh, the former department of uh, head of Department of Homeland Security. So, so much of this censorship is happening at the same time as the, you know, U.S. proxy war in Ukraine is failing and the narrative is collapsing that that's really all they have left is to just cut off journalists from their sources of income. And, and you know, not only is it outlets like Mint Press and Consortium News, there's also a massive wave of censorship against RT, 
you know, which is Russian state-funded media. It's been banned from YouTube. You know, I mean, years and years of work from excellent journalists um, in multiple right. languages have all just been erased from the internet, which is just remarkable. It's and it's totally arbitrary. So you know, it's a way I think of not only controlling the narrative, but erasing history, erasing memory. So then when, you know, we want to go back and look at exactly how, you know, did we get to this point, then, you know, we, we, it's hard, it's hard to, to show it. It's hard to prove anything. Um, I mean, just today, a video of Victoria Newland from eight years ago from the 2014 coup saying this was a viral video that, you know, that was leaked of, of uh, a recording of Vi- Victoria Nuland discussing who is going to be the president of Ukraine. That was erased from YouTube. So well, we've definitely played that audio. Exactly. Uh, several times on this show. You know, it's all just so naked and so obvious to anyone, you know, who's like halfway paying attention that they're they're just desperate to <laughs> reinforce, the, you know, this to kind of put the wheels back on. But it's not happening. And so I think, you know, people are waking up more and more to, you know, this severe reality because it's hitting them in, in the pocket and in the stomach. We only have a couple minutes and I wanted you to have a chance to talk about your new film, Gaza Fights Back. I think when we first had you on the show several years ago, it was for your film that was new then, which is Killing Gaza, which you did with Max Blumenthal, right? But this is happening at a time, your new film is coming out at a time just after this horrific assassination of a Palestinian-American journalist, Shireen Abu Akleh. So uh, why don't you talk a little bit about her, her, her murder and your film? Well, Shireen Abu Akleh is one of the most well-known journalists in Palestine, and she was assassinated by an Israeli sniper. Her death was caught on camera. And there's, of course, been no accountability, just kind of some hand-wringing for public consumption from the Israeli government and from the U.S. government. But that's essentially been forgotten in mainstream media now. It's just such a horrific crime, her murder. It's devastating for Palestinians because she was basically the voice of Palestine for a lot of people. As Al Jazeera Arabic's correspondent since the late 90s. So... You know, this is just part of the overall war against Palestinians. The most recent major attack is what I chronicle in our new documentary called Gaza Fights Back. But, you know, what's a little bit different about Gaza Fights Back versus Killing Gaza, the documentary I did with Max Blumenthal that we released back in 2017, is that in Gaza Fights Back, you actually see the armed resistance in Gaza basically intervening in Jerusalem against Israeli ethnic cleansing of the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood and against Israeli settler provocations at the Al-Aqsa compound, uh, the third holiest site in Islam, which the Israeli uh, right wing is very intent on partitioning and, and destroying, taking over. So it's about a half an hour documentary. It's much shorter and, than killing Gaza and I wasn't able to get into Gaza this time. I was actually turned around at the at the Newark airport when I tried to go there. The Israeli government rejected me. And so I, I worked with a, a couple of filmmakers in Gaza who were, you know, living there and, and able to film and send me footage. So, you know, it's kind of the next chapter of the struggle in Gaza. 
And I think we have a clip of the trailer for Gaza Fights Back. Here it is. is a red line that cannot be violated. And that was a clip from the upcoming documentary, Gaza Fights Back, by uh, my guest for this segment. And Dan, we will look uh, forward to the release of your latest movie project. I've been speaking with journalist and filmmaker Dan Cohen. Thank you, Dan. Thanks very much, Esther. The ground beneath my feet, I know what made for me. There is no anyone place where I belong. My spirit's meant to be free. And soon now everyone will see life was made for us to be what we want to be. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, several Latin American countries have denounced the attempt by the Biden administration to ban Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela from the upcoming Summit of the Americas, scheduled for June 6th through the 10th in Los Angeles. Mexico, Bolivia, and the CARICOM countries are threatening to boycott the summit because of Cuba's exclusion. Meanwhile, Cuba's president said this week that he would not attend regardless of what Biden does. On my final full day in Cuba earlier this month, I recorded this address by Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez Parilla, addressing hundreds of visitors from around the world who traveled to Cuba for the May 1st International Workers' Day celebrations. It is time to unite within our diversity for an anti-imperialist struggle in defense of peace, sovereignty, free determination, 
development and social justice, self-determination. We must unite against the unilateral coercive measures uh, that are imposed against uh, those uh, states that do not yield to their purposes. We must unite to destroy the international financial architecture to fight for the right to development, food, health. We must unite against uh, the unfair external debt that we have paid over and over again. We must unite to demand financing and effective technologies to mitigate the impacts of climate change. We must also unite to demand that industrial countries pay the ecological debt. It is essential to articulate ourselves better so as to face uh, this symbolic war, the attempt to liquidate uh, the culture of our peoples, to wipe out our memory and deprive us from our own values and impose foreign models, alien models, to be, make us robots, uh, reduce us to consumers of merchandise, and digital data. Six transnational controlled cyberspace. Academics have developed the concept, the term techno-feudalism, and NATO is hiring advanced studies for cognitive war, where the human brain is the scenario and for which neuro arms are being developed. Our best forces are truth, reason, consciousness, unity. It is essential and urgent to unite ourselves in the digital political struggle, generate ideas, contents, integrate knowledge, and obtain technologies, develop information hubs and information and ideas. Cuban Revolution has not been defeated. Its most recent victories against COVID-19 and the stepping up of the blockade since 2019 with the 243 brutal measures of maximum pressure by Trump, the inclusion of Cuba in the list of uh, country sponsors of terrorism, the similar policy by Biden against the disestabilizing communication and political operations by the U.S. imperialism. The blockade has been extremely stepped up during the pandemic and the virus was used as an tactical ally. United States prevented the procurement of lung ventilators at a time of high demand. It hindered the import of 
indispensable materials and supplies for the development of Cuban vaccines. It was clearly established during the days of the crisis of oxygen in our country at the peak or height of the pandemic as a result of a problem in our main factory that to import oxygen from the United States you need specific licenses and exception of the blockade. When we had concluded the vaccination process, we were offered through COVAX 1 million vaccines. We explained the U.S. government that uh, that was not necessary and we proposed to use it together with other Cuban vaccines and with health personnel of both countries for a project in the Caribbean. But our proposal has not been answered. The accumulated damage of the blockade up to 2021 amounts to $150 billion, more than $150 billion. In a few hours, our revolutionary people amid uh, hardships and, uh, and mobilized in defense of the revolution, defeated the attempt of destroying it through violence and mobs and through the implementation of our laws with the guarantees of due process in the wake of the most violent vandalic acts. We have also struggled against a, a toxic platform receiving funds from the federal government of the United States and the Republican government of Florida. With the participation of governmental officials, anti-Cuban congressmen, instrumental companies, digital means, the press, influencers that are paid or pressured, as well as uh, people from the art and entertainment market in Miami. In November, the this powerful machinery was defeated in the wake of the truth and the force of the consensus, the majority consensus and patriotic convention of our heroic people. We so firmly support the decision of the government of national unity and reconciliation of Nicaragua in its decision to cut off all links with the o OAS and with the summit of the Americas. We denounce the exclusion of Venezuela and Cuba from the preparations of the ninth summit of the Americas that will be held in Los Angeles from June 8 to 10. In the uh, tricky negotiations that are taking place in the OAS, <coughs> The same OAS that participated in a coup d'etat in Bolivia 
and the same OAS that has become a tool of the United States. The government of the United States is not a role model for human rights. Systematic violation Systematic violation of health rights, the rights of uh, people below the poverty line, the right to education, to food of U.S. citizens, the repressive and brutal policies against migrants, lack of uh, care and protection of low-income sectors, repression of the minorities, of the LGBTQ plus persons, the restriction of trade union rights, the exploitation and repression of autonomous uh, of uh, culture of the culture of indigenous people, lack of equality, gender discrimination, racism, and discrimination against Afro-Americans, police brutality, and over 1,000 deaths in last year due to or at the hands of the police. A country uh, where you see labor exploitation in private prisons, violence and firearms, repression of uh, reproductive health rights, wars, secret prisons, extrajudicial executions and the use of torture. This country is the only country that has not signed the Convention of the Right of the Child, according to the organization Defense of the Child. In 2019, over 10 million U.S. children, that is to say 14.4%, lived in poverty, almost half of them under extreme poverty. 71% of these children are Afro-Americans or Afro-descendants. 4.4 million children have no medical care. So according to U.S. institution, many of them are in prison and there are two 1,600 prisons for in life imprisonment, and they have been in life imprisonment since they were underage. According to the U.S. Fund for the Defense of Children, there are 10,000 children under the age of 18 in American prisons. The American Union for Civil Liberties reports uh, that 60,000 persons are in prison in the United States under the age of 18. In 2021, and as average, there have been between 600,000 and 700,000 minors detained in the United States, according to the Fund for the Defense of Children. 
the U.S. government has very little to show at the America summit after the last presidential campaign and presidential elections, the attack on the Capitol, the involvement of politicians in this attack, and the unsurmountable political corruption. I'm sure that you will mobilize at the People's Summit that will be held in Los Angeles on June 6 to 8. Another battle will certainly be the Summit for Peace in Europe at the end of June in the wake of the warmongering NATO Summit. We will meet at the Sao Paulo Forum during this period. We will not lack causes to defend, struggles to wage, or victories in Cuba. We will change everything that has to be changed, as Commander-in-Chief Fidel said. We will be loyal to his example and his legacy within this socialist revolution, always with the humbles, for the humbles, and of the humbles. We will always be loyal to the teachings of Army General Raul Castro. We will always be at the side of our people, united within our Communist Party under the leadership of our President Díaz-Canel. Ever onwards to victory, homeland or death, we shall overcome. And Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez Parilla will have the last word on today's show. He was speaking at a conference on May 2nd after the island nation's annual May 1st celebrations, which draw millions to the streets all over the island for International Workers' Day. Since his speech, several Latin American countries have denounced the attempt by the Biden administration to ban Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela from the upcoming Summit of the Americas, scheduled for June 6th through the 10th in Los Angeles. Mexico, Bolivia, and the CARICOM countries are threatening to boycott the summit because of Cuba's exclusion. Meanwhile, Cuba's President Miguel Diaz-Canel Bermudez said this week that he would not attend regardless of what Biden does. A separate People's Summit, sponsored by peace activists, labor unions, and other groups, is being planned at the same time, June 8th through the 10th in Los Angeles, to present an alternative view of regional cooperation, respect, and peace. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital, on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network, on all your podcast platforms under the title On the Ground with Esther Averam, and on our website and archive, onthegroundshow.org. You can let us know you like the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Patreon.com at On the Ground Show. And all of those platforms have a protest sign with green lettering that says On the Ground. Or I also link every show on my Instagram page, which is Esther underscore Averum, E S T H E R underscore I, if you like Victor, E R E M, like Mary. The music we play this hour included work by Lingua Franca and It's Your World by Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. Thank you.
on the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show. If you have not already subscribed at Patreon, you can do so for as little as $3 a month or all at once at $33 for the whole year. And I know that the show is worth more than that to you. If you like the show, if you love the show, if you regularly check it out, if you rely on it, if, you know, it's a part of your soundtrack in any kind of way, please support. Go to patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And I would very much appreciate your support. And it would mean so much to us at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash on the ground show. Or you can go to the show website, which you might go to anyway, if you reach the blog that way and you click on the donate now button or the, um, support donate button and you can see all ways to give.